Welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is Bonnie Shaw, and I'm going to be your moderator for the next hour of this exciting call. So today, uh, we're part of a, a conference call series through Community Matters, which is an initiative inspired by the Orton Family Foundation. And it gives me great pleasure to say that Community Matters is now a partnership of seven national organizations working to strengthen civic infrastructure in local communities across the country. Today, we'll hear introductions from, from these partner organizations, and then we're going to open up for a really exciting conversation to talk about civic infrastructure. You guys can ask questions, and uh, we'll be able to hear some terrific responses from, um, from our wonderful speakers. Before we get started, I have a little bit of housekeeping. So the first one is call protocol. What? So we've been doing these calls for a while, uh, and we've had an absolutely enormous response from you all to join today's conversation, um, and that's terrific. Uh, what it does mean is that we have a lot of people on the call, and so we need to, to ask everyone to um, to uh, put themselves on mute so that uh, we can hear everyone as they speak. Um, what we're going to try and do is, is mute the line um, so that so that we can get some quiet, uh, so that we can give everyone a great platform to be heard. Uh, but if you could please be conscious of that throughout the call um, and make sure that we do give everyone the, the space that they need. Um, I will not hesitate to jump in and, and ask people to, to pipe down as needed. So. Um, that's, that's going to be my main job today, <laughs> so bear with me, folks. Uh, the second second point here is uh, the Google Doc. We have a Google Doc. Um, we use it to take collaborative notes. Triangle, yeah. And uh, to my previous point, if you wouldn't mind putting yourself on mute uh, when you're not speaking, that would be awesome. Um, we have a Google Doc available, uh, and we use this to take collaborative notes for everyone on the call. Uh, this is where you can type in questions, and then if you see questions that you know the answer to or would like to share case studies or any additional notes as people are speaking, please use that to type them in. Because we do have such a great number of people uh, joining us today, some of you won't be able to access that document. Google does cap the amount of people that can edit a document at the, t at the same time. So some of you will just be able to read and you won't be able to write. Um, if you're not writing, we'd ask that maybe you refresh and, and let some other people get in there. Um, and if you if you have burning questions or comments that you'd like to make, uh, you can email those at uh, info at communitymatters.org and we'll make sure that those notes and questions and comments do get into the document after the call, which will be available and, and you you're very welcome to come in and edit that and uh, and make notes after the call as well. Thirdly, this is the first part call series. So the second follow-up call is going to be hosted in two weeks by NCDD, and that's going to be on Thursday, July 12th, uh, from 3 to 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So that call is going to be an opportunity for much deeper discussion about civic infrastructure at a whole bunch of different levels. So talking from local communities to a national scale and in our own lives and workplaces. And that, that will allow for a lot more small group discussion and more participation. Today, 
we're really going to introduce our, our new partner organizations and, and give a, a broader overview. So the call in two weeks will let us get into a lot more depth. So to access that call and to join in, um, just go to communitymatters.org and there'll be a link to register for that call and we'll also send that around uh, with more information with the follow-up to this call today. I know that was a lot of information to get through. So if you can just recap with me. First one, if you're not speaking, please stay on mute. Second, there's a Google Doc. If you can't get into it, please email. Thirdly, there's going to be another follow-up call for more deeper discussion. So now with housekeeping out of the way, it gives me great pleasure to welcome our speakers for today. We're going to be joined by Rebecca Sanborn-Smith from the, uh, the Community Matters Partnership to give us some, and some information about that. We're joined by Matt Leininger from the, uh, to talk to us about civic infrastructure. Janice Foster-Richardson to talk about grassroots grant makers. Sandy Heyerbacher from the National Co Coalition of Dialogue and Deliberation. Rebecca will give us a little more information about the Orton Family Foundation. Ethan Kent to talk about projects for public spaces. And then Charles Marone to talk to us about strong towns. We'll wrap that up with uh, some questions and conversation at the end. So again, if you have access to the Google Docs, please add your notes and thoughts. If you can't edit the docs, do send your comments and questions in via email, and we'll make sure that they get into the docs so you can get back in and edit and answer um, at your leisure when we're done. So with all of that, I will now hand over to Rebecca to kick us off. Thanks so much, Bonnie. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Rebecca Sanborn-Stone. I'm with the Orton Family Foundation in our Middlebury, Vermont office, and I'm so happy to have everyone on the line today and be able to join you. Um, I'm only going to talk for a minute. I want to say hello and introduce Community Matters Partners. We just made an announcement about two weeks ago of a national partnership. This is an idea that's been percolating for a lot of ideas for years here at the Orton Family Foundation. And over the past year, we've been so proud to come together with six other amazing national organizations to figure out what we all have in common, what exactly this challenge is we're all struggling with, and how we might be able to work together and help boost each other's work and make it part of a larger national conversation. So you're going to hear a lot about that today. The partners will each introduce themselves. Um, I do want to just share a couple of quick thoughts. We have latched onto this idea of civic infrastructure as something that's really critical and hasn't been dealt with readily enough in our communities. And we feel that as partners working on a lot of different disciplines from community planning to civic engagement to public spaces, you name it, we can't make the progress we need to do individually unless we all come together collectively and tackle this larger problem of civic infrastructure. So you're going to hear a lot about that today. In terms of how we're actually going to do it, that's a really good question. And some of you have asked that already. Uh, we're going to have to ask you to bear with us as we figure that out. We're going to take some time to understanding how we tend to collaborate and work together, what ways we can really engage with all of you and with communities on the ground. And so for now, I would flip that around to you all as well and say, how can we help you and how do you want to and hope that you can give up some good answers. So please feel free to answer that question in the Google Doc, um, turn it around to us over email. You can always email me at rstone.orton.org or share your thoughts on the call later. 
Um, it's sorry about that echo. I don't know where that was coming from, but hope it's gone now. So, Bonnie, back to you. Great. Thanks, Becca. Um, I'll pass it straight on to Matt um, to give us a, an overview of civic infrastructure and, and your role in this new partnership. Great. Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, I'm Matt Leininger. I'm from the Deliberative Democracy Consortium, uh, which is kind of a mouthful. It is an alliance of the main uh, practitioner organizations and academic researchers who are studying public engagement, community engagement, democratic governance, and all those those kinds of things. Did you make that's it? No, that's what you came with. Okay. Uh, please. Somebody called and said, man, you didn't talk much? Please do. As Bonnie was saying before, <laughs> uh, please do meet yourself. We, we are, in fact, 225 people on this call, at least 225 people signed up. Of course, not everybody probably was able to make it, but in any case, we are a very large number of people on the phone at the same time. So please, if you haven't already, please uh, mute your line. So um, let me just start out with a very obvious statement, which is that there are many different ways of engaging citizens, by which I mean people, engaging people productively in improving their communities. Uh, I looked at that really long list of people who signed up on this call. I recognized a lot of names. There's a lot of expertise on the call of people who know a lot about one way or another to engage uh, uh, citizens. Uh, it's also uh, true of the Community Matters partners, all the different organizations who came together as part of this this work, we came to it from one kind of um, area of expertise or capacity or another. Uh, we tried to kind of represent this with this, uh, this little spice rack graphic, um, which you can see on, on the Google Doc. Um, and, it, you know, if you don't have access to the Internet right now, it not, not, that's not a big deal. Basically, what we're all looking at is a spice rack where we took off some of the labels like Tarragon and Thyme and Rosemary and put on some of these kind of capacities, these, these elements of, of civic infrastructure, so that, you know, one of these says uh, create vital public spaces on it as one way of, uh, of engaging people and improving their communities. Another one has something about creating productive online spaces. Another one is about organizing dialogue and deliberation. Uh, there's one on using innovative group processes to bring people together. There's one on design for economic growth and vitality. Uh, one that's about philanthropy and, and uh, reshaping philanthropy so that it resources active citizens, uh, incorporating values and opinions in land use planning, uh, making government data open and available uh, to people, and giving people meaningful roles in policymaking. So those kinds of things um, are the kinds of capacities that a lot of us um, have some experience with in the field. You know, and a whole lot of uh, research points to some of the benefits of doing that kind of work in communities. That in general, it does help uh, communities make decisions and solve problems ranging from crime, public health, education, budgeting, all different kinds of things. It, in fact, may also have an impact on economic growth and vitality, the greater amount of engagement or attachment, the more a community grows economically. And also, in general, when a lot of this kind of work is going on, people feel more connected to one another and to their, to their community. So there's a lot of this kind of work happening. Um, not nearly enough of it. I think a lot of us on the call would agree that, that it would be nice if there was you know, ten times more of this kind of uh, civic uh, engagement work happening. And yet, you know, there is enough at least happening that we know a lot about how to do those different uh, kinds of things, and there's a strong track record to work in these different kinds of areas. However, uh, I think a lot of us who have experience with this kind of thing, and, and certainly the people, those of us who have been part of these Community Matters partnership conversations, feel that when it does happen, it usually isn't connected, collaborative, or long-term. 
that the, that in many communities you could look at what's happening and see only one of these these uh, kind of civic capacities in place, or maybe more than one, but they're not connected to one another. So that perhaps the people who are working on the built environment are not necessarily working together with those who are interested in, in setting up and running a robust local online community. And the people in one uh, in, in local government may not be working with people in the school system, or the people who are in philanthropy are not necessarily connected to those who are trying to organize dialogue and deliberation. So in most places, this engagement work is happening in this very piecemeal and temporary uh, kinds of ways. So I think what a lot of us are have come to the, re the realization, those of us in the Community Matters Partnership and a lot of us in the field as a whole, are recognizing that instead of simply working on tools, we need to be thinking about civic infrastructure. We need to be thinking about the ways in which this kind of work, these tools can be embedded uh, and sustained in the ways that, that communities function. So that, in fact, part of our proposal here is that communities ought to plan for their civic future just as well as and alongside their planning for their economic future, their land use, uh, their environment, all those other kind of important parts of, of public life. There's a guide that, that we have been using partly as a kind of a touchstone for some of our conversations. It's called Planning for Stronger Local Democracy. Uh, I just added the link to it um, to the uh, Google document right by my name near the top. There's a little bit.ly link. You can also just Google Planning for Stronger Local Democracy and it, and it comes up as the top, top entry on the list. Uh, it is a, a guide, a publication of the, of the National League of Cities, uh, which is the nation's largest association for local elected officials. Um, that guide kind of presents a number of other kinds of ingredients or building blocks for local civic infrastructure, including many other kinds of things that may seem familiar or exciting, uh, including stronger, more participatory neighborhood associations or stronger local online communities, uh, more structures and programs for young people to be civic leaders, uh, physical spaces in communities that can help facilitate engagement, uh, skills and capacities on the part of public employees and public officials to be facilitators, conveners, leaders of those kinds of things. I'm listing some of these kinds of things just mainly to kind of give you a taste of the kinds of things that we've been talking about and the kinds of potential elements uh, of civic infrastructure. But the, the kind of overarching thing, and, I, and, and this is also where the, the spice rack image I think kind of helps, the overarching thing is not there's not any kind of single recipe that every community ought to be following it's in fact the case that there's lots of different ingredients out there, and there may be ingredients in your community that you can build on or connect to other ingredients, or there may be things that other communities are using that you want to bring to yours, uh, but that in fact the most important thing is, may not necessarily be the combination of ingredients that you're using, but the fact that you're actually cooking, that, the, that you are thinking about kind of the civic future of your community, thinking about what makes it a great place to live and could make it a better place to live, and, and incorporating some of those kinds of ingredients, some kinds of, of, of of assets in the way that you think about the civic infrastructure of your community. So, Bonnie, let me let me stop there and, and hand it back to you. Thanks so much, Matt. That was a, a really great introduction and overview. Um, next up on the docket, we have Janice. Do you want to take it away? Janice, do we still have you on the line? How about we skip over to Sandy and Janice will come back to you if you're having some technical difficulties. Sandy, are you with us? Hey, this is Janice. Can you hear me now? 
Yes. We certainly can. Ah, great. I was un- unmuting and we were unmuting and muting at the same time. So this is Janice Foster Richardson and I'm with Grassroots Grantmakers. Really delighted to be part of this Community Matters Partnership. So um, what we are is we're a, what Grassroots Grantmakers is for those of you who don't know us, and I feel like we've got a lot of friends out there, so hello to, hello to you. Um, we are a network of primarily funding organizations, primarily place-based funding organizations, but not just exclusively funding organizations, but we're a network of folks who are interested in resourcing the kind of uh, citizens and the kind of groups that they form for mutual aid and collective action in their own community. Um, we spend a lot of time with funders uh, talking about how you get beyond the kind of get deeper in a community than the uh, typical nonprofit organizations that they fund. And so the kind of programs that we think about as grassroots grant making typically are um, small grants programs, mini grants programs, anywhere from $100 to $5,000 that are targeted to three unrelated people on a block or that kind of group. So kind of the community ad hocracy, um, kind of with a with a notion that part of a, a very strong local civic infrastructure really depends on the notion that people in a community see themselves as problem solvers and not just come to meetings when they're invited and participate mm-hmm. when they're invited, but they actually initiate and act. And so these kind of grants yeah. and this kind of work is really uh-huh. to support on an ongoing basis in a way that we describe as with patient money, um, the kind of um, the kind of groups that are are uh, that that are citizens coming together to take action in their own community. So that's who we are. Fantastic. Thank you, Janice. Nice uh nice keeping to time there as well. Um, next up, we have Sandy. Sandy, do you want to talk a little about your work, your role in the organization? Sure. Hi, Bonnie and everybody. This is Sandy Heyerbacher. I am the director of NCDD, which stands for the National Coalition for Dialogue and Deliberation. We're at ncdd.org. And basically, we are a network of about 1,500 or 1,600 now um, members, people that do dialogue and deliberation work in their communities. There might be nonprofit leaders or some public officials, a lot of people that work at universities, um, a lot of facilitators and consultants. And what we try to do is to provide a space for folks that are doing this important work to uh, learn from each other, engage with each other, um, build on each other's work, and collaborate. And I'm very excited to have NCDD as part of the Community Matters partnership and to be part of this and actually being involved in this is helping us to focus more and more on this important topic of, of civic infrastructure. We are going to be focusing on this at our public call Yeah. So uh, part of the follow up call that Bonnie mentioned is to give us an opportunity to hone in a little bit more on what people are doing in their communities related to civic infrastructure, what they're really struggling with, and how we can maybe things at our conference, which is a, it'll bring together about 400 people, we're hoping, yeah, um, people that are civic innovators, like the folks that are probably attracted to this call, so I'm that. But, um, yeah, hopefully Join us on that follow-up call. You can find out about it at communitymatters.org slash conference-calls or just go to ncd.org slash 
2747, which is where it's posted. Um, but yeah, um, I guess that's, that's it for my intro. Thrilled to be part of Community Matters. Welcome, Sandy, and thanks. And uh, we'll make sure that that uh, information that you just supplied about getting in the Google Doc and available for people to access in there if they missed, missed that. Okay. Uh, next up, we have John Bosco to talk a little about the Orton Family Foundation and the New America Foundation. Hi, John Barso here at the Orton Family Foundation. Um, what I really want to do is um, introduce Community uh, Matters Parkers, and I just want to fill everyone in on the call on our latest news, which is as of today, Community Matters Partners are in, an, in agreement with uh, the National Endowment for the Arts, the NEA, um, to lead their new uh, Citizens Institute for Rural Design. So this is a huge um, and wonderful uh, confirmation um, of the value of, of collective impact. Um, so I just wanted to, to raise that. Um, the message has gone out, and um, I think you'll hear more about it from, uh, from uh, Becca later. Um, the Orton Family Foundation has, um, since 1995, worked in small towns to, to, to do exactly the kind of thing the partners are focusing on. That is, help to, to rebuild and, in some cases, build the social fabric of a town in order to make it fully uh, healthy. We have a very strong emphasis on, on broad and deep participation and engagement as one of the most important ways to truly uh, let uh, townspeople tell us what's really important. It starts with folks who live in a town, not with the planners um, who are far more interested in square feet. Um, so the Heart and Soul Community Plan effort, which works in a few towns um, very, very deeply, is where we are placing our um, our resources in the Please visit us at www.orton.org to learn more. We are now in five communities in the, in the uh, uh, northern Rockies and in working for in two communities in New England. Um, and we'll be reporting on our progress in those towns. Thanks so much, John. I just wanted to jump in if people are hearing a bit of static and, and some kind of scratchy noises. We're trying to get these sorted out. Um, please just sit tight. Um, as, as we all know, this is a, a collaborative effort, and uh, we, we will try and fix these up. Um, but, uh, Becker, I, I, I think you wanted to jump on and say a little more about uh, the new America Foundation who couldn't join us today. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm just going to talk for a minute um, because we do have one other partner who couldn't be with us today. The New America Foundation is a great organization based in D.C. working to improve quality of life, civic engagement, and open government. We work a lot with Alyssa Black, who's just been named the director of the California Civic Engagement Project for them, and unfortunately she can't be with us today. 
but she's doing some really interesting work trying to figure out what the state of civic engagement and civic innovation is in California, how governments really can open up and change their practices, and how we can improve that even further. She's been working a lot with Sandy at NCBD, I know, and is certainly available through this group. So um, I won't say a whole lot more about it, but if you have questions or information from her, we can help you with her. Thanks, Becca. That's fantastic. Alyssa is a, a huge asset to this group. Uh, and speaking of huge assets to this group, uh, Ethan, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about Project for Public Safety? Yeah, thanks, Bonnie, so much. Um, uh, EPS, Project for Public Spaces, is a not-for-profit planning organization that has been around since 1975, and we've actually worked in all 50 U.S. states. Um, we uh, and we're also very excited today to be part of this announcement with the NEA and Orton and uh, Community Matters to help you provide the services to bring this kind of conversation to rural communities around the country and to an online resource center as well. Um, so PPS was actually set up, um, you know, it's sort of a problem-focused role, how to fix failed public spaces. But very quickly and increasingly, we've realized that the crisis is really a crisis of civic infrastructure. The communities and government is not set up support successful public spaces. Um, We've, you know, we've also realized that no, you know, no agency is in charge of public spaces, um, and certainly in community organizations aren't really set up to holistically address the needs and goals of public spaces. Um, so increasingly saying that you actually have to turn everything upside down to get it right. We have to sort of flip civic infrastructure on its head um, and to focus it on place. And we found that when you actually focus many dimensions of civic infrastructure on place, on engaging a community as joint problem solvers, that a lot of other goals fall into place and that civic infrastructure can work a lot more efficiently. Um, so we say it takes a place to create a community and a community to create a place. So there's other ways to build community, but we think of this as a very effective way, and we've developed a number of engagement tools um, to support that, that focus um, and each citizen as problem solvers, as co-creators of their, their, their communities, their public realms. Um, so, so engagement tools include, include a place audit, um, it's a tool called the Power of Ten, um, and we're increasingly doing these the digital placemaking as an online tools. And something we call later, quicker, cheaper. We think an important part of civic infrastructure is actually the idea that communities can shape their built environment. They have to wait for big projects, for capital-intensive projects, um, to change things. And we can see change and often make the biggest impact through lower-cost uh, experiments, temporary improvements. Um, that can be done with, with limited resources. Um, but increasingly, we focus more on training and building capacity and uh, giving people the tools to do an alternate process than the traditional planning process that, again, turns the sort of traditional planning process on its head to start with community in place and have that community define its issues and opportunities, build its capacity to address its own problems. Um, and then, and more so now, we're looking citywide and um, and statewide, in some cases, at shifting the governance structure of of, uh, of cities. Like recently, Michigan announced we've been working there on many levels, but at the state level, a new department, uh, a new leader of placemaking, and see it as their chief economic development strategy. Um, so, in, in in Australia and other parts of the world, and with you and Habitat, actually, we're working on how do you government to support placemaking. Um, we do a lot of training and. Um, facilitation to sort of shift the culture of governance and um, build, and build a, build capacity of communities to 
should really shape themselves. But ultimately, we think that governance and civic infrastructure should really be judged on not not the service it's creating or the or even the the outcomes it's creating, but the, the extent to which the for communities to address their own problems, create the world they want. I'll stop there. Fantastic. Thank you, Ethan. Joe's um, gives such a great overview of, of your work. Uh, and finally, the, the last speaker we have joining us this morning, uh, this afternoon, I'm sorry, uh, is uh, Mr. Charles Maroon from Strong Towns. Charles, do you want to give us a, a little background? If you're with us and uh, can take yourself off mute, please feel free to jump in anytime. Um, if we don't have you on the line, then I would just hope that everyone will uh, join me in welcoming all of these great organizations who are coming together. Um, this is such a wealth of information and experience on, on this call right now. Um, to, to join all of you with all of these great organizations is, is just terrific. Um, and so with that, I, um, I would like to kick things off a little. Um, we have about half an hour remaining on the call for some questions. Um, and, uh, and so I'd like to start with a, a question from Matt. There's, there's a whole bunch of, of really great questions in the Google Doc. And I think the, the first one to really get us started is, is how do we get started? Um, you know, with, with this organization coming together, there's a, a huge amount of planning and coordination that needs to happen to create such a strong collaboration. How can communities really start to do this together uh, in, their own, in their own places? Sorry, Bonnie, did, did you say that was a question for me? or? or... Uh, I'm throwing this one to Matt to kick us off. Okay, yes, I'm sorry, this is Matt. <laughs> okay. Hi. Well, I think one, one kind of quick first step is to start thinking about kind of what your, who your potential allies might be, um, and, and trying to kind of assemble, uh, you know, a small group of people who you can start planning with, uh, who hopefully represent different sectors, different kinds of organizations, different interests potentially in the community. Um, a second thing is to kind of reach out for other kinds of resources, emailing Community Matters, looking at some of the resources we have here, looking at that Planning for Stronger Local Democracy Guide uh, that I mentioned earlier. There's a section in the back of that which kind of explains how you could use the guide itself in, in a, a number of planning meetings. Um, you know, there, there's, there's resources out there, but I, um, I think kind of first thinking about some of the people you know and other people you might not know well but you think would be good allies for you, starting to kind of, in a relatively low-key way, starting to have some conversations about with them about what you might want to do together and start bringing in some resources from the outside. I'm sure other people on the call here, though, have probably have other thoughts to, to kind of add to that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if any of our speakers today would like to jump in, please, please do. Please, please add to Matt's comments. Some of us, um, Bonnie, have also been, I notice, um, trying to address some of the questions already on the Google Doc. So there's there's uh, there's a uh, a conversation and typing happening at the same time as the one that's happening on the call itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and normally in these calls, we would we would actually have people join um, join us in speaking because we do have so many people on um, today. That's that's a little bit difficult. Um, I, I am coming, coming through the document and pulling questions out of here. So 
Um, I I think uh, we'll we'll jump straight to another one, um, and uh, this might be a great one for for PBS, uh, Eastern and Daniel. I think you're also on the line to to talk about um, how the partnership will start to integrate internet technologies to improve the civic infrastructure of communities. This is from Joanna Cummings from Vermont. Um, Ethan, Daniel, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, I'm not sure if Dan can get on, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to, to answer that. Um, Dan's our Vice President of Digital Placemaking, so thinks about this every day. But, um, but yeah, increasingly we're realizing that you know, we need um, a good uh, digital infrastructure to support the civic infrastructure and uh, that, in fact, the culture of digital infrastructure and, and digital tools very much mirrors the uh, change that we're all trying to seek. You know, if we talk about the culture of open government, the culture of um, sort of open source and uh, sort of the, the social dimensions we're all trying to support, um, you know, we need to cast that momentum in those tools to support civic infrastructure. Um, something that some of the tools that we're focused on again are um, using this place auditor in the Tower of Ten to support this. An example we're working in San Antonio right now where we've done sort of a citywide placemaking campaign that started with training of different departments, trying to shift the culture, get different silos to work together and think about how they can you know have new processes and sometimes organizational teams. Um, but then uh, do some demonstration projects, and then launch this, this transformation publicly through a digital placemaking effort. Uh, the site's actually called Lighter, Quicker, Cheaper, and uh, it, it's a crowdsourcing site for people to identify potential places for improvement, talk about why they work, their ideas for improving it, why they think that it, what outcomes they're trying to achieve with that idea, and then, um, uh, and then the, the best ideas are actually, you know, getting awards. It's in partnership with the public radio station to, to be implemented. So it's, it's a digital process, but we always say the digital process has to be supported by in-person processes and integrated into a larger campaign for change as well. Um, so that's a, it's a, it's a model that we've launched in about eight or so cities, um, and are looking to really build on in various ways. Pass it on to anyone else that wants to add to that. Thanks, Ethan. That's great. Uh, and I, th I think certainly from the perspective of this organization, there, there will be lots of these kind of calls. Um, there's certainly the Community Matters website as a resource for collecting a lot of these conversations. Um, is there anyone else that would like to add um, some additional thoughts on this? So with that, uh, speaking about supporting and, and finding ways to um, fund uh, authentic engagement. I'm going to throw to a question here from Jennifer Hurley. Um, and Janice, this is probably a great one for you. With, with government budgets, public engagement efforts have been minimized. How do we fund authentic engagement? Um, is, that, is that a good question for you to tackle? And perhaps there's someone else on the line that might want to tackle that one while we're, we're waiting for Janice to, to join us. Or maybe we've lost everybody. Maybe I'm the only one left on the call. Funny, <laughs> this is Rebecca. I can jump in and offer some quick thoughts, although this is really not my area of expertise at all. Um, I think there are a lot of traditional funding avenues. It's definitely true that it's harder and harder to get funding through government 
channels. All of the local governments are strapped for cash, as we know, uh, but it doesn't mean they don't have anything. And we find at Orton with a lot of the communities we work with, if it really matters to them and they wanted your project, they can come up with a little bit of money to make it happen. And especially once you start putting together some of those smaller pieces, it's easier and easier to get other groups to make a match. So if you can get a little bit of a contribution from government, then go to some of the companies that do business in your town and see whether they can contribute to this and talk to them about why this is an important opportunity for growing business as well as for just making the community stronger. There's also a lot of great work being done by certain organizations out there right now to work on crowdsourcing funding, and not just funding, but support. We had a fantastic webinar about two weeks ago at Community Matters from a group called IOB in our backyard, which is working on grassroots funding of support. And they've got a a really great program. You can actually tune in and see the webinar if you didn't join us, um, about how you can go to everybody, your friends and neighbors and citizens right down the street, and their donations will really add up and make a pretty huge difference, even if it's only a couple bucks. So... There are a few quick thoughts, and if Janice opens up, she would definitely have that. <laughs> Can you hear me? This is Shannon Dixon from Grassroots Grant Makers. Oh, good. Okay. Um, Janice is having problems with, with her mute. I'm not sure what's going on. But, um, you know, I, I think that you should always, for civic engagement, engagement projects, look, um, you know, look close to home first. So, you know, look at your community foundations, look at your family foundations, and, um you know, the, the folks that are really used to doing um, that type of grassroots funding are indeed members of our network. So um, check our website, grassrootsgrantmakers.org, and, and see who our members are and see whether there are any of those in, in your hometown. Um, I hope they are. Um, you know, we're looking to, to grow the number of foundations who are interested in funding citizens, um, everyday everyday people to do collective action, um, things that result in their mutual aid. And so this is something we're advocating for and that we get tools for um, if you have some local funders um, in your area that, that might be good candidates for that approach and they're not quite there yet, um, turn them on to us and maybe we can help turn them for you into um, some grassroots grant-making um, funders, funders for you. So um, just look close to your best first, I think is what we would say. And this is Matt, Time and one one further thought is that that a lot of institutions actually already are investing a fair amount of money in public engagement. They don't necessarily call it that, and often it isn't all that effective. So sometimes what is important to do is kind of think about what what, what investments are, are institutions already making, um, and often it's not effective because they're not working together or they've got a very traditional kind of approach. It's all about kind of you know, uh, doing press releases for the newspaper or things like that. It, it's not necessarily reflective of the way communities communicate these days. It's kind of still stuck in a 1980s kind of, you know, um, version of the, of the universe. So anyway, so I think if you're within one of those organizations, it may be part, part of what you're trying to do, therefore, is kind of reshape some of the jobs of the people you already have on staff so that they reflect more of the principles we're talking about here. And if you're outside one of those organizations, is perhaps kind of making the case to people in those organizations that what you're going to help them do is, in fact, something that can, can add to or replace uh, or make more effective some of the things that they're already trying to do but using more kind of outmoded methods. Uh, Bonnie, can you hear me? I certainly can. Who we got? This is Daniel Latore. Hey, Dan. How are you going? Hey, I, I, I'm unmuted now. Um, Welcome. So, um, about what Matt was just saying in, in the um, the crowdfunding thing, 
Um, I guess, so in terms of the, the civic infrastructure, one thing that folks should be um, uh, assessing or investigating is the, um, the sort of emerging practice of participatory budgeting, um, which in many ways cuts across a lot of these issues. Uh, a lot of the ideas that people have in participatory budgeting, which is um, when a you know, certain portion of capital uh, funding is put up for um, essentially crowdsourced prioritization by community um, through a series of you know a lot, uh, ongoing series of lots of face-to-face -face neighborhood assemblies, and then also um, increasingly with online or mobile input in addition. A lot of those ideas are all about place. Um, when people think about what do they need to do to turn their their neighborhoods around, a lot of it, it comes down to the, the place factors. And of course, also services too. Um, the one thing about the testing um, to um, what was also mentioned earlier, or starting you know close to home, um, it's also uh, worth thinking about how to connect the crowdsourced uh, or the internet technologies that was mentioned earlier about how to get ideas from citizens online, but then to connect that with some crowdfunding. So there's this sort of you know um, convergence that's happening where we're we're figuring out ways to collaborate together and to kind of have this continuous path of, uh, let's call it, different forms of direct democracy. Um, and we're actually talking with IOB um, here at, at Project for Public Spaces about doing a project in a, in a, a medium-sized city um, or a neighborhood, a district within a medium-sized city where we do the, um, the crowdsourced um, uh, you know, idea generating in the place map like we're doing in San Antonio and then uh, filtering, after that gets filtered and prioritized, then switching into a crowdfunding um, mode through the IOB's platform. So we're going to be experimenting um, or piloting that um, hopefully soon, and it'll be interesting to report back on that. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that, Dan. I know uh, someone else that, that has some great examples to share uh, around investing in local communities is Charles Marone. Charles, are you uh, available now? Can we hear you? Boy, I hope so. You getting me hey. here now, Bonnie? Welcome. Welcome. Why, uh, everyone, this is Charles. We, we missed his introduction at the, at the beginning. So, Charles, why don't you give us a little background on you and your organization and then jump into the, the topic. Thank you. Wonderful. And it's so nice to hear you again, Bonnie. It's been like a year and a half. So, um, thank you. My name's Chuck. Uh, I'm with Strong Towns. Uh, we work at the intersection of land use, infrastructure, uh, and finance. And we kind of, you know, bring the financial element uh, to the front and center in all these discussions. Um, one of the things that I think we've been the most effective in is kind of giving a narrative, a coherent narrative to the growth conversation that we're having today. You know, a, a lot of times when we get into uh, actually implementing things and we start looking at different priorities and we say, well, we, we really don't have the money to do this or, you know, we have all these other transportation projects we need to do or sewer and water extensions we need to do. Uh, you know, the status quo way of doing things has a lot of inertia behind it. And one of the things that our dialogue has helped to do is to quantify that and explain how the traditional approach to development, the post-World War II suburban experiment, has financially not worked out. And while it does provide some short-term benefits, it has a huge financial hangover effect that many of our cities are dealing with. 
And so we do a, a blog three days a week. Uh, we have a podcast that we do once a week. We have a video channel. We release a new video, short little clip once a week, trying to help people understand this intersection between engineering uh, and infrastructure, uh, transportation, the planning and land use side, and then the financial implications. In, in regards to the, the conversation that's going on right now, uh, the thing that I would recommend is just to, to start small. Um, PPS is brilliant at this. Um, kind of Ethan and I's mutual friend, Mike Leiden, uh, working on the tactical urbanism is even kind of more, uh, I think, bare bones or down to the, you know, at the earthy level of doing this. The idea that change has to come about by large institutions, by, you know, large uh, government consensus, by having 50 different meetings, it is simply not the reality today. And a, a group of determined people can change the direction of a community by starting out, you know, thinking big, but, but acting small and taking small steps to kind of get the ball rolling. And to me, that, that would be kind of the first thing that I would suggest to people is stop planning about doing things and just go out and do things. Uh, even if they're small, uh, if you've got a good, coherent, vision of where you want to go with it, uh, people will follow, will get on board, and you can start to make large changes. So thank you. Thanks, Chuck. It, it seems to me like, Sandy, um, you would have some really great stuff to add to this. Um, I know that you do a lot of work around creating innovative new public processes for people to engage, so uh, maybe you can add a little bit to, to this part of the conversation now. Sure, I will try. Um, and I wanted to mention also there's a, a question in the Google Doc about resources. What resources are there for community-based organizations to build community through civic engagement? And I really wanted to mention um, the NCDD Resource Center, which is at ncdd.org slash rc, uh, where we've cataloged over 2,500 or 2,600 resources over the years. Things like books and articles, assessment tools, case studies, videos, lots of posts about methods and descriptions of different approaches that you can take. So, um, but to answer your question, gosh, there's so many innovative um, processes that people are using, and I think um, I think at the beginning of when NCDD formed in 2002, people were more attached to particular methods, um, methods, methods like World Cafe and Open Space and Citizens Juries and America Speaks 21st Century Town Meeting and there's all these great participatory methods that, that get people talking about critical issues in a new way, um, basically getting them on equal footing so that everybody has a chance to talk and, and people can move from um, from kind of a, an egalitarian conversation where everybody shares their stories, they can move from from that, which is more you know dialogue focused, into um, deliberation, which is more about you know weighing the pros and cons of different different options and looking at what are all the choices that we could make when it comes to solving this particular community problem, um, and actually influence. A public manager's decision, or perhaps even work together to um, create some some new solutions and action groups together. So um, 
definitely check out the Resource Center for lots and lots of different ways that people are convening and solving community problems together. Um, but I think over the years, people have, people in our community have been learning more and more to kind of pick and choose and, and design their method based on, you know, what is the context in my community, what's most needed right now, and not necessarily plugging in a specific uh, method or approach to doing dialogue and deliberation or public engagement work. So hopefully that's helpful. Uh, thanks. Thanks. That's, uh, that's really great, Sandy. Um, and kind of leads into a, a really interesting comment I'm seeing in the Google Doc here from John Sadie. Um, looking at, at this idea of decentralizing public spaces, um, meeting in networks, small groups, in homes and businesses, churches, libraries, creating virtual public spaces. And I know this speaks a little to, to what Dan and Ethan had started to speak about around using different types of technologies to bring people together in new types of ways. Um, and that's originally, uh, this, this response here is, is to a question by Josh Pascua from Florida. Um, and Josh is talking about uh, how he'd like to hear more about overcoming opposition, particularly with dealing with groups that are opposed to investing in public spaces. And Matt and Janice, I, I wonder if this is something that the two of you could um, could comment on initially for us and then, and then maybe throw it open to the group. Talking about overcoming opposition um, and yeah. people to really invest. Um, yeah. Oh, wait, sorry. Yeah, Matt, you want to get started? Can you hear me now? So the, that's Welcome the, back, Janice. Go ahead. Yes, I'm you. back. <laughs> hey, but Matt, if you get started in this, that'd be great. Uh, okay. Oh, so yeah. Dan, sorry. This okay. is Daniel at, at oh, Dan, CBS. Sorry. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll keep it brief because, like, this is a you know this is a kind of fast you know emerging um, practice and topic area. So um, the nutshell is is kind of linking is, is just it's about building a fan base. Um, so if there's there are NIMBYs typically that are, are often the opposition, and they may be more wealthy or more established in neighborhood, um, but there's generally not as many of them. Um, in a lot of the cases that I, I've been recently thinking of and hearing about. So um, just as an example, one pattern that seems to be emerging is the, you know, like using Facebook as a group, building a local constituency of authentic people who actually support some new initiatives, and then making that visible to the local government, governmental department. Because um, oftentimes you have these, you know, um, open-minded planners in, in city government who really want to do the right thing, but if they can't show the visible constituency and the visible support to counter the more vocal um, sort of entrenched support, um, then it's very hard for them to make a case politically. So um, it really is, you know, about thinking about this from like an online and offline organizing standpoint and connecting the use of Facebook to then holding events in that space to say activate that space. Um, to demonstrate the vision, so that's where these uh, different ideas of lighter, quicker, cheaper, or tactical urbanism can um, be used where where you can demonstrate. Um, so rather than just talking about it, you go and do a one-day or afternoon setup, um, and then, of course, that feeds your, your Facebook group and um, connecting with the local blogosphere, et cetera. So think about it as like a whole cycle of all the different players in your ecosystem socially, your social network, and how do you um, kind of do this online to offline organizing? 
Um, and, and it's definitely worth talking uh, at some other point about this um, uh, in some future conference call, perhaps. Yeah, Dan, absolutely. It sounds like that's something that we should try and schedule on the on the agenda for, for a full call so that we can really dive into some of those issues. Uh, Janice, do you want to jump in and, and give us your thoughts? Uh, no, I think I think Dan kind of summed it up. I think that was great. So let's just move on. We've got so many so much activity going on on the Google Doc and so many questions. Let's go to another one. All right. So uh, I I am going to jump down here uh, and maybe we we can talk a little here. I've got a great question about overcoming political logger jams at the municipal level. So. What are some great ways that people have seen here to, to start to uh, really facilitate some change in, in with, uh, with policymakers in local government? And maybe uh, maybe we want to hear originally. Let's uh, let's hear from Sandy. Maybe you want to respond first to this one. Hmm. Let me pass it on to Matt. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sure. Give me the log jams. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think in general, when it comes to kind of working with local officials, um, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that a lot of them are just as frustrated with the way that uh, decisions are made and problems are addressed in communities as the citizens are. They've sat through enough awful public hearings and other kinds of uh, city council proceedings, other kinds of things like that. They're, they're sick and tired of the three minutes of the microphone kind of pattern as everyone else is. So sometimes, um, you know, you can kind of appeal to them on that basis, um, you know, especially, you know, when there's not a kind of a controversy or a, a kind of a hot topic on the table saying, hey, let's think about uh, this thing that is coming down the pike. Can we do, deal with this particular issue or decision in a way that kind of avoids the bad experiences we've had in the past uh, with this kind of stuff? Um, so that's one thing. Another is kind of pointing people to uh, helping them connect with their peers who may be in other communities. And there's certainly lots of local officials out there, and this is true of all kinds of local leaders, who have some experience with and are advocates, are champions of public, various kinds of public engagement. So that, uh, and, and certainly you can point them toward associations that represent some of those kinds of leaders. So for the local officials, it's groups like NLC and ICMA. Uh, for education, for school administrators, there's the, the school associations. You know, often those the kinds of associations for planners or public officials or the kinds of people they have uh, often resources and sets of people within the associations who are champions of, of better uh, forms of engagement. Uh, I think though that, that part of, this is kind of a, um, you know getting to our kind of interest here in civic infrastructure. You know, part of what we're after though is something that is is creating kind of systems and communities that won't make it so difficult uh, and time-consuming to engage people all the time. But where I think what we're trying to do here is creating, uh, kind of helping communities create setups where people are continually engaged, whether that's online or face-to-face, -face, um, in ways that are enjoyable and convenient and powerful for them, and that therefore make it easier for public uh, officials and other kinds of leaders to get to them, ask questions, to bring issues, to get their input, um, and that therefore also that those organizations, because they're sustained, because they have larger, more diverse numbers of people, they also therefore have more influence with those those kinds of uh, public officials and other kinds of and other kinds of leaders. Uh, this is Ethan. I just added this a little bit. Um, first of all, we always say if you're not, you know, coming up against some resistance, you're not accomplishing anything. So, but in a healthy civic infrastructure, the blockers actually that energy is very useful, um, and and helps to really energize and 
inform inform people. But um, we're really a, 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 you know a true shift in civic infrastructure is really about reinventing the relationship of, of people and government. And it's actually it's you know, communities that sort of atrophied in their ability to work effectively with government to government as well. Uh, so it's not something that happened overnight. But um, but government is in, with this sort of design and defend process of promote you know having to feel, feeling like government has to have the solutions or disciplines have to have the solutions. They get very defensive and they they uh, are um, you know not open and and not compa- not compatible with this more open civic infrastructure. But if we offer this this full transformation, this sort of paradigm shift in civic infrastructure, um, we're freeing them from having all the answers and saying they can help facilitate, inform, inspire great solutions, which is actually a more powerful role, but not one with so much control. And they, through a good process with good civic infrastructure, um, they, the, the political capital is built through a strong vision, through, um, you know, through strong capacity, through strong, you know, community ties to be able to take bigger risks for, for the leaders, the politicians and people in government to, um, to trust the process that they wouldn't have otherwise. So it's a it's full cultural shift that we're bringing about that's actually very natural, that people, everyone is very comfortable with and gets pretty quickly. It's just never asked. They're never asked to talk about how can we better work together to, to create a great community. Um, and it's, it's really the way, sort of the common sense approach to which the places and communities we love were created, um, but has been sort of nibbled away at by this very fragmented siloed civic infrastructure that dominates today. I know... Uh one organization um, that's on the call here, the Orton Family Foundation, is doing a lot of that kind of work in communities. John, do you want to talk a little about your experience in working in towns? Yes, of course. Um, I, I concur with all of what has been said before. Um, we have always, in the towns we work in, gone out of our way to make sure that local government is involved from the beginning. It, it, it is important that they're not. We, we do not get involved during a period of, of great controversy. Um, and I'll just say that in, in certain towns, um, government officials actually, after some resistance, do find some relief in having more people involved. Our mantra is leaders don't lead, they follow. And part of what has to be built up is citizens' um, confidence and ability to lead and also not to assume the worst of government leaders. Um, as, as Ethan was saying, it's, it's a, a both-way renewal of conversation, asking the questions, dialogue, and building trust. I would just say briefly, in Golden, the, the kinds of outreach we did to engage citizens, including block parties, became one of the most popular ways for um, the, the local politicians to go out and talk with their constituents, and they took full advantage of it, and, and in that way had more face-to-face um, contact when they weren't actually actively campaigning. So there, there are many ways to open up the channels to a system that's been broken for so long where it, we can't even often see the simple ways to start fixing it. And to the point about, this is Shannon from Grassroots Grant Makers, to the point about, you know, ways to have people continually activated to be able to respond to um, issues when they come to the forefront in your community, you know, we really see that a lot with grassroots grants, you know, as, as a way um, to help citizens do things like block clubs or, um, you know, I mean, whatever, some very some very old-fashioned mechanisms, you know, like ice cream socials, just some more, you know, hit mechanisms like storytelling nights or um, pitch kucha or, you know, stuff like that. 
And so we, you know, we see that as an important part of um, the community infrastructure. You know, just just a little bit of money to that brings people around the table in a constant way. That those groups are are um, becoming more and more healthy, and you know, are there when the loggerhead comes. You know, they're standing by, ready to be part of the conversation because they've already been having a continuing conversation with each other. Yeah, we um, we. We kind of lived up the importance of patient money is, a, is really important in the grassroots grant-making world, and by that we mean a source of money that's consistently available, so with a process that's familiar and comfortable for community groups. So it's not money that's sort of promised, but it's also not, um, you know, a special funding initiative or a three-year opportunity or sort of a big announcement with a new new thing to figure out that it's, uh, you know, that's part, being part of the civic infrastructure is some... Um, kind of comfortable processes that people can um, kind of tap in and out of um, when the moment is right. So that, to me, you know, what that does when people do that is then they're not always going to the powers that be, either governments, or government or funders, um, sort of with their hand out. But they've, um, you know, they're they're going they're going in with as more as a, a partner with um, with some action behind them. So that. Um, they either are not kind of beating people over the head with why didn't you do this right or um, or you know, feeling um, like they're they're just there for for advice that no one's going to listen to. So speaking of of partnerships um, and and in the spirit of collaboration, um, I I need to actually call this uh, this call to a close. We we have hit um, the top of the hour and. Um, I just I want to give you guys a, a few closing thoughts. Um, this this exciting collaboration is a collaboration in its truest sense. So for everyone on the call today, um, we're looking for your thoughts and and feedback on how to best take this forward. Um, we would love to keep doing calls like this and and bringing everyone together for conversation. And um, it sounds like there are a lot of really great topics that we could go a lot deeper on um, and generate a lot more discussion and, and hear from a lot more people on these calls. Um, to, to that point, um, this this call is indeed the first in a two-call series, so if you would like to uh, follow up and, and join the next one, that will be held by the National Coalition for Dialogue and Deliberation in two weeks on Thursday, July 12th. Uh, you can sign up for that call by going to communitymatters.org and registering in the same way that you did for this one. Uh, or you could uh, wait and we will send out a bunch of information that's come out of this call and, and register via that link. Um, based on the, the responses that we've seen to this call, I'd get in quick if you want to try and make that. Um, and in addition, uh, we've had an absolutely overwhelming response in the Google Doc today. There is so much information and there's so many wonderful, great, stories and questions, and uh, I would encourage everyone to, to stay in that document as long as you can or come back to it in a day or so after some burning thought has, has risen to the top of mind. And please do keep sharing your experiences, answering each other's questions, and, and sharing that great information. That document will be made available as a PDF to the group as well, uh, as will a recording of this call, which will be available to download on the Community Matters website. So with that, um, I would love to give each and every one of our speakers uh, a huge thanks for joining us today. Um, and 
hope for the very best um, with this collaboration going forward and look forward to a lot more conversations like this. So, everyone, thank you so much for joining us, and, and here's to many more of these in, in the future. Thanks very much. Thanks, Bonnie. Yeah. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.